In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Uh, we hear from Malachi today. Uh, <clears throat> I'll just get this out of the way since I heard it a while ago and I thought it was funny. But Malachi, the Italian prophet. Thank you very much, and we don't have to do that again. But uh, Malachi, he's here. He's the very last prophet in the Old Testament. He's the very last prophet in the book because he's the last one. After him, there's something like 400 years of silence from the Lord. It's kind of amazing. They were used to having prophets. Uh, there'd hardly been a time without prophets. Then all of a sudden, done. Silence. Now, lots happened during that time. It wasn't like just history was on hold. You can learn about that time. You can read about that time all in the Apocrypha. There's some wonderful and amazing things that happened there. Um, but there was no prophet. So we call this the intertestamental period. And uh, so they began to compile all the different books that make up the Old Testament, basically. And then they, they write everything down. And they, they even translate it into Greek so that everyone can read it. And so for about 400 years, even though the prophets ceased to speak, their words still spread. It's amazing. And more people heard the prophets than heard them while they were speaking. So... When John the Baptist comes along, not everyone, but many of them are like, well, we've been waiting for this Elijah. We've been reading about him for 400 years. And instead of it just being forgotten, it grows instead. And so they're, they're waiting, they're looking for him because everyone has been hearing about this. It's a strange thing. Because it's been 2,000 years since the Lord spoke to us through his Son. And yet, his words continue to spread throughout all of the known world. He's not fading away anytime soon. Now, it's easy for us to read the prophets and to be uh, rather harsh on the people of Israel. And, you know, we, we read about all the idolatry and everything that they do. And, and you know... It's like they kind of deserve it because they keep doing these things. They keep setting up the Asherah poles and they keep sacrificing their children to Moloch and to these false gods. And things that seem plain as day to us, well, well why on earth would you do that? That's not going to do anything. That is probably the dumbest thing that you could do. It's insanity to worship a piece of wood or to sacrifice your child to a god that doesn't exist and cannot help you. Idolatry, it turns out, is actually really, really stupid. And yet, it seems plain as day to us that they got all this stuff wrong. But that is still our constant struggle every single day. Soon enough, you will see how your own idolatries have failed you, how much you have invested in them, you will find out what sort of gods you have been bowing down to, and you will weep over how foolish you have been. How much have you sacrificed to things that cannot help you, and to things that will simply fade away and die? 
How much is there that you just don't get right? How much is there that you just keep sinning? Now, to be honest, a, a read of the, of the book of Malachi, um, the people of Israel seem to be genuinely confused. This seems plain to us now, of course, but to them, things were really, really strange and they were weird. And also, they have a bunch of like corrupt and uh, bad priests that keep abusing them and teaching them bad things teaching them half-truths. But Malachi begins, chapter 1, and uh, Yahweh, Yahweh goes, he goes back and forth between him and the people, and the very first thing he says, the, the start of the whole entire book, which is not that long, but he says, uh, I have loved you. I've loved you. Like it starts off on such a wonderful note. And the people respond, what? How have you loved us? They question Yahweh immediately. You're like, I think you're wrong about this, bud. And I think maybe they really didn't get it. But then again, why would anyone sin anyways? It doesn't make any sense, and it's not good for you, and there's no sin that won't just result in death and lead you down a path of chaos and destruction anyways. Sometimes we sin just simply because we don't get it. Because something else seems better. But there they are. How have you loved us? How have you cared for us? They're angry with them. The people of Israel, they sit there in the destruction and the rumor, the, the ruin of their former glory. And all of their enemies... Well, it seems like they're doing a little bit better than they are. So we, are we sitting in the ruins of our former glory? And our enemies seem to be doing really well? What's going on here? And the whole time, the whole entire book of Malachi, Yahweh does not shrink away from them. He testifies against them. He speaks the truth which is so difficult for them to hear. They keep the best for themselves. They bring animals for sacrifices they wouldn't even dare to serve to their worst enemies. This is awesome what Elias says. You guys don't even shut the door when the priests go into the temple to burn the candles and they just get blown out. You think it's just about just lighting the candle and, and then that's it. They don't care. They are lazy. They have absolutely lost their way. But Yahweh will not leave them to their own sins and devices. He will not leave them alone. He says, well, hey, the day will come burning like an oven. Maybe, maybe you know this, but on the Sabbath day, you're not allowed to start a fire uh, in the old way of doing things. And I wonder, maybe because this is the main sign of the Lord's advent. And then the Holy Spirit comes as fire on Pentecost and, and will come again, bringing fire upon the whole earth. That, the, the destruction, the cleansing will not come from water this time, but from fire. Peter talks about this too. 
But this is also not the first time that the Lord has done something like this. In Genesis 15, when, when the Lord makes the covenant with, with Abraham, uh, remember this, he cuts all these animals in half and then he floats through them as a smoking fire pot. And uh, the word there is tanur. That's what this is. And this is how God chooses to reveal himself. So, it, it's not a super common word in the Old Testament, tanur. Uh, it's only used like ten times. This is why I didn't know this until till I was uh, writing this. But if, if you go to an Indian restaurant, you can actually still order a food made with one of these ovens that, that Yahweh talks about and even appears as uh, the tandoori oven. It's the same word. It's amazing. Well, that's how the Lord talks about the coming destruction. I love that kind of food. It's awesome. The Lord talks about coming as an oven. A constructive fire. A refining fire. A fire that takes a big mess of things and then turns it into something beautiful. A fire that burns away your doubts and your sins and leaves only love and righteousness. The Lord talks about coming as a fire and oven that makes order out of chaos and that crushes our enemies and leaves the people of Yahweh absolutely whole. I mean, it seems like we are on the losing end of things today. But on the day when Yahweh of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, of armies, acts, all of those sins which beat upon us and weigh us down will be burned away. And from this fiery oven will come a thing of beauty. That is what we are looking for. Because that's also how it's gone before, isn't it? Uh, they, they've tried this. They tried it with Daniel. And then they only saw that he came out stronger. And then they tried it with Jesus. Throwing him into the grave from the cross down into the very fires of hell itself. And from that chaos and suffering emerges resurrection. And that will come upon you as well. But what will come? Out of chaos will come beauty. Out of sin and destruction will come love and righteousness. That's what we're waiting for. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.